Um, James, since I know you're listening to this, uh, Hannah has requested ghost noises. Um, feel free to intersperse them wherever you feel is appropriate or inappropriate. That should be no problem, dear Ellen. For tonight, we bring you a tale of wraiths and revenants, of spirits and lost souls. Good evening, listeners. And welcome to another episode of We're Going to Make This Weird! Today's story begins during the witching hour, three in the afternoon. It is the hour when spooky things are afoot, when the dead stir in their graves, and traffic is getting bad, and people begin recording amateur podcasts. Two young women have gathered in their study to humbly cast just such a pod. But unbeknownst to these poor souls, they will soon be visited by a malevolent spirit. Now, dim the lights, pull up a chair, and enjoy our extra spooky Thanksgiving Day episode of We're Going to Make This Weird! Hello and welcome to a very special episode of We're Gonna Make This Weird. You might notice that Leah's not here. Um, that's for a really great reason. Leah is terrible at history, and this is going to be a pretty heavy history episode. So, uh, yeah, get over it. Anyway, today uh, we're going to make this weird. We have a very special guest, Hannah. Hello, Hannah. Hey. How's it going? Oh, you know, I'm here. Happy to be here, I guess. Um, I did think I was going to talk to the other uh, Tereskiewicz sister, so I'm a little disappointed. Um, but, you know, it's fine. She's cool. she's okay. a, she's a hard get. She's a hard get to pin down, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <It's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll let, I'll let her know that you're extremely disappointed. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, Hannah, why don't you tell the audience, I've mentioned you once or twice on the podcast in passing. Mm-hmm. I've referred to you as my cohort mate, which is obvious. Like, I think cohort can also be like a noun. Like, it could be in a cohort, but, like, your cohort can be, like, one of the people. Real, like, oh, me and my cohort. It's a, I always feel weird, really awkward saying cohort mate. Um, also because, like, mate makes it sound like we're all, like... We're not English, yeah, so it doesn't <laughs> Yeah. So, okay, sorry. Well, outside of you being in my cohort, um, you're also my friend. But I know, right? Again, big news, big announcements <laughs> here. But, um... Why don't you tell us uh, and the audience uh, who you are and um, what the fuck you're doing here? Uh, wow. Okay. I'm sorry, that was aggressive. Um, like, why are you? Okay. Um, so I'm Hannah. Um, Ellen and I are both in the PhD history program, um, and we've become friends. Um, we study different things, I think, sometimes in history, but we share some common interests, mm-hmm. um, particularly in things involving, like, death culture and whatnot. Yeah. So uh, what field of history are you most interested oh, yeah. in? Um, so I generally uh, study medieval Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, my specific interests uh, involve things like superstition, which obviously lends itself to death culture. Um, I also study like chronicles and how people like remember history and whatnot, which sometimes does overlap with superstitions and death culture because sometimes you remember dead people. So. Could you uh, explain a little bit for the audience what you what you define as death culture? Oh God, I don't know. Um, Sir, I mean, I think it's an easy term to throw around. I don't always use it. I think I use it more when we're talking than when I'm, like, reading about stuff. Mm. Um, but I think it's just sort of, particularly in medieval Europe, there's a lot of sort of ceremony and process and, like, liturgy for, like, formally remembering dead people. 
um, and sort of like incorporating them into your worldview. So I think just for me, it's in general like how we culturally like think about people who have died and like take steps to remember them and then like incorporate their memory into our lives. Mm-hmm. So Hannah and I have also gone out and we, you and I have uh, explored mm-hmm. um, Indiana. Yeah. We've gone looking for cemeteries. Mm-hmm. For me, visiting cemeteries is something I've like always done. It's mm-hmm. always been a place of like not gathering, but definitely like introspection i lived down the road from a cemetery i the only time i ever saw my my grandparents was in a cemetery because they were dead that was a weird way to praise that i was like wow where are we going we're just yeah just meet my grandparents in the cemetery no i think no it's interesting i was almost going to ask about how you feel when you go to cemeteries because Mm -hmm. one of the reasons i like going to cemeteries is because i really like them Mm -hmm. like it, it always interests me where so i spent a semester around scotland and there was a really really old like Kirk and se- like a medieval Kirk and cemetery, sort of just behind my flat. Mm-hmm. It was also under this hill that was supposedly used by witches. It was like supposed to be haunted. Doesn't matter. But like people would say the cemetery is haunted, and I would go in there and I would feel really happy and like peaceful. It was just a really beautiful place. Mm-hmm. The fact that there are still names I could look at, I always found it really pleasant. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's like the difference between like people who like feel a dread when they go to cemeteries, mm-hmm. and I guess I just don't. I don't know if that's just like a very modern mindset. I don't know what's up there. So like when you go to a cemetery, how do you feel? I. I don't like modern cemeteries. Um, I think I'm, I I think I'm ambivalent towards them. Mm-hmm. I I'm always drawn to history in terms of cemeteries. So when I go into like old ones, like the ones we like when we were visiting the ones that were either lost to time or like they had sections that were really old. Um, yeah. I was way more excited to be in the old part and to like you know look at the ways that you know people wrote like how they how they designed their the. The, like headstone and like yeah. what was around it and like and then because like I, I even noticed that like we have gone towards like manicuring our cemeteries whereas like I remember this one we visited um and <laughs> I forget what did they spelled something wrong on the church and I forget what it was oh I remember yes <laughs> it was like it was an old church with a new sign that just yeah. spelled wrong yeah and it's like that is so fuck it's not even like it was like an old-timey spelling it was just mm-hmm. Very wrong. In stone, no less. But, um, no, like, half of the cemetery, the old part, had a tree in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's interesting that no one was worried about, like, the roots of that tree, like, expanding. Or that, like, you know, this tree was just there amongst the plots. And then on the other side of this, like, kind of, like, cross section Mm -hmm. where there's a dirt road, it's just completely, it's just grass. There's nothing, there's, you know, it's very manicured. Yeah. I'm so fascinated, like... That doesn't really mean much. I'm not an expert on cemeteries. I kind of wish I was, but I just found that so fascinating. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm drawn to see them and to see how, like, when people died and, like, mm-hmm. how they died and what they decided to commemorate. Or even, like, who are people commemorating them? Especially in the old cemeteries you and I went to, like, it was, like, the societies they were a part of. Or, yeah. Like, I think we saw a lot of, like, it's almost, it reminds me of some medieval stuff, like, the old guilds, but, like, I think we saw a lot of people who were, like, um, the same basis they were woodcutters yeah and like but the people they worked with like paid to like have their gravestone made mm-hmm. and it looks like a tree or like a mm-hmm. log or something that like that was like their profession but it was also like a social society that sort of paid to have them remembered in a specific way right unlike like i think because we saw uh log ones in that set that old start at the cemetery and then on the other half there was like a full-on laser-cut motorcycle. <laughs> like, the other half of the cemetery was, like, an advertisement for Harley-Davidson. Oh, yeah. Which is baffling. I feel like which is just the dichotomy of, like... Mm-hmm. I mean, it was Southern Indiana, so it's just, yeah. like, this sort of rural culture. Right. But, I don't know, it's, like... Which makes me, like, kind of... 
um, draws me to what we are going to talk about today, but also something I'm always interested in mm -hmm. because I don't know. Do I, I don't know if it's because I love being scared or I like I like to prove to myself that like I can take it. But yeah. ghost stories and hauntings and stuff yeah. like that. I think it's really really interesting hmm. that um, for because Americans in general is someone we don't talk about death a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, American like specifically in the world, America has some of the highest percentage of population that does believe in ghosts. What the fuck? And I do wonder if that's like I think it's because it's also we were talking about that in like the mm. class that I TA for that like America I don't remember the percentage because um, it's the same percentage I think that also like believes in angels and like anyway we don't mm -hmm. need to get all that but mm -hmm. I wonder if there's like if those things are maybe related. That's a, that was always the weird disconnect for me. It's just mm -hmm. like that my religious teacher or my um, religion teacher would just gleefully tell us about how her house is haunted, how her farmhouse is haunted, and I'm just like, what? Like, these incongruent things, like, either you believe in an afterlife and, like, God is merciful or whatever this shit, yeah. or um, we are trapped in a perpetual hell of, like, banging pots no. in a house. I mean, I don't want to be, um, I mean, because I know you're, like, I'm mm. assuming your religious teacher was Catholic. Yes. Obviously. It would be weird if they were. Um, but, I mean, I think when you introduce the idea, as we will get to from medieval stuff, when you introduce the idea of purgatory, that becomes more common. Mm -hmm. The idea that, right, because people who've died and were good, right, they go to heaven or you mm -hmm. go to hell. But if you're stuck in this in-between places, mm -hmm. in a lot of medieval ghost stories, the people who come back are in purgatory and they come back because they're still stuck there and they explain, oh, I was sinful, here's what I did, please pray for me and light some candles so I can exit purgatory. Mm -hmm. It's the whole, you know, mm -hmm. um, Jacob Marley situation. Right. Or Christmas Carol. Um, so that makes more sense to me, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit, but I don't know if that's what your, like, teacher was thinking when they had that sort of belief. Well, that's a, generally yeah. ghosts are theologically problematic, right. as, my, as my advisor told me. Right. It is, well, they are. No, she, no, she was just, um, fucking one day, like, during class, I'd have to, maybe have to ask some people that I, I was in the, the classroom with me. I don't know if, like, um... Alyssa, Alyssa, I know you're hopefully listening to this. I can no longer confirm who's listening to this anymore. But if you are, do you remember, um, it was uh, the person who did Building with Books. Uh, do you remember her telling the ghost stories? And do you remember why she did it? Because my memory is that, like, we were just having, this was in the lead up to the um, relics, or no, um, not the relics, um, Our Lady of, like, uh, Guadalupe or, like, the the uh, sightings of like Mary, mm -hmm. um, the Virgin Mary, like the grotto and all over the world, and that <laughs> the bullshit of like Jesus crying oil. Where in the world is Mary? Yeah, right. <laughs> Where's Mary gonna pop up this time? Which she got a sick ass trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, um, oh, but maybe oh, uh -huh. getting back to you speaking though, um, the difference between a ghost and a saint is really interesting because saints are dead people. Yes, but they're but they're the special dead. I, I believe I heard one historian say, as opposed to the ordinary dead, mm -hmm. right? So you die and you're just extra special, and then you get to be a saint. But them coming back is like, why are they not ghosts? Or like the right. question of like, why are ghosts not saints? It's just a very interesting question to me. Did you know um, when I was in high school that um, there was a saint? Uh, there was someone up for um, canonization, Ooh. and he was from Detroit. And I went, and they took us. I forget what we were just visiting the diocese, I think. Mm -hmm. And they had his body, <gasps> and like you could, what you would do is like put something on it, and like it would be blessed, like so it became a relic. And I wow. did that. Yeah, did you still have a relic. I gave it to my dad, and it, it's it was a, um, I think it was like one of those little like, um, uh, they're like oval. They're like it's like a star, like um. 
don't know what they are. They're like made of felt, but also paper. It's just like in a plastic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I put that on there. Or or I put my Kairos cross on it. I can't remember which, but it was like, I did that and I gave it to my dad. I guarantee you he still has it. Yeah. I don't think that that man was canonized. <laughs> so he's not a saint. I mean, that's also the question. Sorry, that's the whole question of, uh, I remember we talked about this in class. Like, because uh-huh. I mean, the, the papacy decides, like, right, there's a whole process, mm-hmm. like, be able to get canonized. But people, historically, would say, oh, this is our local saint. And then the papacy would be like, we didn't approve that. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> you me. You got a homegrown local saint here? Yeah. And as you know, I won't get into it, but my favorite being a dog. <laughs> Listen, I love people in history because that is the that is absolutely the kind of shit that I would do. Be like, this dog is... <laughs> He was a good boy. Yeah, he was a good boy. He did her, like he, and we saw him get lifted up into heaven. He killed that snake. He did a great job. Yeah, and we all know snake. Oh wait, would, by this time was the snake being attributed to the Garden of Eden, or was I that? Don't, I don't. I don't remember specifically in huh. the story. I have to look back at that. Um, yeah, but it was an old folklore motif of like a dog killing a snake to save a baby. Actually, did they use that? I never saw that movie. But is that what Disney did in Lady and the Tramp? Um, it wasn't. It was a rat. Oh, but yeah, but that's the same story of the dog saving, because that's why the dog is a saint, because the family mm-hmm. comes home, and they think the dog murdered the baby, so they kill the dog. Mm-hmm. But then they find out that the dog saved the baby, so now the dog is a martyr. Wow. Yeah, that didn't happen in Lady and the Tramp, either. It was more like a... But they, but they do think that the dog, like, hurt the baby in Lady and the Tramp, right? Oh, they don't... Yeah, they, like, what happened... I think it's, like, you know, the Siamese cats, which racist depiction oh, of God, those cats. Yeah. There's a reason I haven't seen that movie. I will I will say I, that did make me fall in love with Siamese cats, mm-hmm. which is not the intention of that movie, but, no. um, yeah, they, like, they are... I think, like, a rat comes in, and then, like, the dog chases it, and then, like, the, the bassinet falls over yeah. or whatever. Let me just tell everybody, strap in. I'm going to tell you exactly what happens in Lady in the Tramp. <laughs> this is now a Disney review. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen and Hannah historically review Disney movies. But, I mean, isn't that, like, that's such a, a, mo- is a motif? Or is it, that's just a Yeah, it's actually, yeah. Um, so the, the reason, that's one of the things that got me interested in history and folklore, because uh-huh. the historian being like, where did this come from? But uh-huh. this was actually a very old folktale. But, but the reason we have that account is because an inquisitor came looking for heresy, and they're praying to a local saint, and he was just like, oh, this must be an unapproved saint. And they're like, so it's a dog. And he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? I would... God, I fucking, I do really fucking love that. How, wait, I was thinking, how do we get here? Oh, wait, oh, right. Oh, we were talking about saints. Sorry. We were talking I, I about saints. No, no, no. something and I was, like, really interested in it. No, it's just, it's weird because, like, oh, can I tell you, uh, I will tell you very quickly, um, that the, 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 so you have to perform, I think it's, like, two or three miracles yeah. to become a saint. Okay. So, one of the ones for the guy who was in Detroit, like, it was the fucking dumbest, like, reason but apparent so so what one of them was was that he um was sitting in his office one day and he was about to enjoy an ice cream nothing like a little d'angelo in banana nut ice cream to end a long week and he was sitting there and he was like right about to eat it gonna eat some ice cream and then someone came in and said oh, oh father, father we, we need you to come, come perform, perform last rites for someone God damn it. so what does he do he opens a drawer in his desk Places the ice cream in the desk, shuts it, locks it. Security system activated. Leaves to go perform last rites. Comes back like a day later or something, whatever. Man, those were some long last rites. Comes back, opens it. Biometric verified, powering. Expecting to like, I guess, find like melted ice cream or whatever. Why the fuck? Yeah. Opens it and it's 
perfect. What? It did not melt. And that is the miracle. So, I mean, there's so many problems here. Like, why would you do that with your ice cream? Yeah, I'm just like... put it in the sink. Right. I mean, you eat it as fast as you can. I'm not a priest, but I'd be like, I'm not... Ice cream is my favorite dessert, so I'm not wasting it. But also, like, I mean, I'm trying to think of all the logical... Like, you're in Detroit. Mm -hmm. It's fucking cold. Yeah. (laughs) Like... Wait, also, like, the the last rites are gonna happen, like, somewhere else. It's like, you got time to keep, like, eating? Like... Ice cream on the go. Yeah. It just... It made... that. But as soon as, again... Throughout my time in Catholic school, if anything was going to test my faith, it was oh, going to be that. Specifically my faith in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. That was just like, that's, I'm, I'm, I was just like, the fact that that's even like being told to me right now. It's just, seriously. It's, it's just absurd. Yeah. yeah, I'm just like, you. I'm like, sometimes I wish I had like just stood at the middle of like wherever and just been like, are you all insane? <laughs> like, are you listening to this shit? Yeah. But, um... I didn't have the audacity to do that, nor did I have the courage. But you know what? Um, I did want to, before we get into, um, before we go on to a break, mm-hmm. I did want to circle back to something, um, your time in Salem. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. I did my undergraduate degree in Salem, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a really tiny, like almost like used to be a community college, but because it's in Salem, the history department was really sort of hands-on and pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um Salem, as you might know, uh, is historically famous because uh, some people were accused of being witches and executed there. Um, this made it sort of a crazy, and I'm sure it still is, just a crazy tourist spot mm-hmm. um, that a lot of historians were kind of upset with um, because there's not a, the, the question of like people are excited to be there for October and it's fun, but also like these people were executed and it was kind of sad and like they weren't. I mean, um, both the people. Anyone executed in the witch trials in, like, that period of history was not actually a witch. Like, the idea of witchcraft they imagined didn't exist. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, to sort of commercialize on their deaths has been a very complicated thing. Um, but I got to do some local history work. Some of my professors sort of worked on that kind of thing. I, at one point, was running around a graveyard. Um, because one of the things the tourists do is when they come to Salem, they uh, go to these memorials. They leave trash. They sit on them. Oh they God. go around all these very old, like, historic graves and just break them. Mm-hmm. So at one point, one of my projects was just running around like, the old burying point, which I think is, like, it was somewhere, I think it was, like, early 1600s. It was an old burying point. Um, Trying to see what graves were left. Like, I had a list that somebody compiled, I think, in, like, the 1800s to be like, all right, what's the same and what's different? Like, what have people broken over the years? What do you mean by burying point? Oh, uh, so that's what they called this little uh, graveyard. It's sort of off in the corner. It was called, like, the old burying point. And it had a lot of, so, like, uh, I think one or two of the judges um, from mm-hmm. the trials buried there. There's like a Mayflower pilgrim buried there or something. Um, but a lot of sort of the first residents of Salem or considered a point were buried at this sort of old burying point. And there are a few cemeteries like that around town. Um, but that's just like, that was its fancy, you know, it's an old cemetery, so it gets a fancy name. I see. Okay. And there's a separate memorial that was built for the people who were executed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's more modern, but it's sort of very nice. Everyone has like a little spot with their names. Mm-hmm. This sort of, um, it's got the cool ass things they said. Cause mm-hmm. someone said some things. I think Giles Corey's, but like, some of the famous ones, sort of snarky things they said, sort of carved in stone, sort mm-hmm. of about their innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, and people still do come, like, people who are long-term residents do leave flowers there, mm-hmm. because a lot of people stay in New England, and you can, like, trace your ancestors back to, like, oh, I was related to this person or that person. Um, but, no, during October, they all... Sorry, go yeah. back to your question. No, I'm, I'm really fascinated by that. But, actually, it does bring me to a question... I don't know if you know in medieval Europe, did people pay to go to executions? Like, did you have to pay to witness it in public? I'm not sure. Maybe not, though. Maybe that's... I don't know if it's an early modern thing. Right. I've witnessed it. Oh, speaking of, we can return to this. I do have a spooky folk tale that people tell about one of the people executed in Salem. <gasps> okay, well, yeah, no, I mean, let's do it. Tell me about it. Right now? Okay. 
So, not to get off your track, um, mm-hmm. one of the first, so one of the first people executed, I think I've told you this before, but mm-hmm. for the podcast, um, one of the first people executed uh, at Salem was a woman named Bridget Bishop. Um, and when Bridget Bishop was sort of on the stand, there was one of the priests, his name was Nicholas Neuer, sort of called for, you know, is there any, like, last words, renounce your witchcraft or whatever, and she said, I am no more a witch than you are a wizard, and if you take away my life today, God will give you blood to drink. Um, now, this was specifically, this would have been a reference some people would have known. Apparently, there's actually a part in Revelation that says, like, believers who kill other believers will drink blood in hell. Um, but then she was executed. Um, and the story goes, um, like I said, this is sort of the folktale. The story goes that around a year later, people start to sort of question their decision when that priest, Nicholas Neuer, got sick and began internally hemorrhaging and died choking on his own blood. I mean, I mean, just like... Chef's kiss. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, yeah. People, I mean, like, listen, if I was going to, famous last words, like, if that's what, if that's how I'm going to go out, oh, hell yeah. yeah. That's very good. And it's interesting because I know that one because it was in, like, one of my professors who was a local historian who, like, wrote about, like, some of the local history included that story, but it's not one of the popular ones that people tell. And I was like, I wonder why this one isn't the one people tell. And I think people do a lot of, like, Giles Corey, uh-huh. um, which I guess there was some old myth that he cursed the sheriff and, like, sheriffs in Salem would die pretty young. Wow. But... I wonder if it's also maybe because people are uncomfortable because it's, like, involving a priest, like, dying. Oh, yeah. Because she, she wasn't doing, like, I mean, obviously she wasn't, she wasn't doing a spell. She was quoting the Bible. Right. Which <laughs> is, like, makes it even more poetic. Like, yeah. that's amazing. Um, we'll take a break and when we come back, uh, we're going to do some excellent bibliomancy. I guess, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. What's an absolutely spooky episode? But do you know what is even spookier than the risen souls of the dead? Uh, clogged dreams! And here to tell us more about the mind-shattering horror of clogged drains are these people. Okay, go for it. Frank, honey, the bathtub drain is clogged again. But Janet, honey, I just unclogged it last week. What, what are, are we going, going to, do? to do? Hey, does bullshit like this ever happen to you? Specifically where your shower drain is clogged up with shit? Hi, I'm Trevin with Tub Busters, and I'm a plumber available locally in your local area to, to bust your tub. Specifically the drain. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single tub in possession of a big clog must be in want of a bustin. But did you know that 99% of tub clogs are due to hair, specifically pubes, mixed with either cum, shit, or soap, but mostly cum and shit. I'm looking at you, Frank. Hmm? But don't worry, tub busters will fix your pubes from f***ing up your tub. That's right, fix. It's a pantogram that stands for F. Face pubes head on with our endoscopic camera technology. I interrogate the pubes chemically using intraluminal reagent testing and DNA matching to determine the source of the pubes. Frank. C. Crush the pubic menace with uh, this thing. It kind of looks like a like a fucked up sex toy, but it explodes the pubes. S. Synergy. After terminating the pubic source, we also offer all clients complimental Tub Buster brand Pube Buster products. 
that dissolve pubes at their source. Specifically your nards, Frank. Mm. Here, try it out, Frank. Me? Right now? Yeah, get those bad boys over here. Mm. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> What's going on there, Frank? Mm, what do you mean? Frank, your <laughs> Frank, your pubes go like all the way up. Your oh, uh, you mean that? Yeah. Okay. It looks like a monk. Your dick's got a monk haircut. Like a tonsure. T tonsil. Yeah. A tonsure. Frank, your dick looks like a fucking tonsil, my man. That's not. Wow. Wow. Okay. okay uh, there. We just got to get in there. Smear it on. Hmm. Man, it looks like a pig in a blanket, but the blanket's just a ton of pubes. <laughs> Frank, your dick looks like a bald man wearing a wool turtleneck. Mm. Janet says that it looks like Michel Foucault. I don't know who that is. All right, takes a second to kick in, so just hang in there, Bigfoot. Not all of us are blessed with smoobs, which is a combination of the word small and pubes. You know, some of us got dicks that look like tontines tonsures or, yeah tonka trucks yeah some of us got medical conditions as well such as nard pattern baldness which as we all know leads to increased rates of pubic shedding or perhaps there's maybe some of you working folks out there forgot to take off your merkin before you uh scrub a dub dub like a fucking amateur frank are you talking to me? I don't wear a merkin for work. Dude, you are a merkin. You are a just a merkin with legs and a wife. <laughs> Whether you're wearing a merkin or being a merkin or just got a lot of oobs, which is a portmanteau of a lot of and pubes, that's what Tub Busters is for. And starting this week, Tub Busters got a special Halloween Thanksgiving discount in case you're uh, going out dressed as... You know, Michelle Fuku, whoever that is, or an egg or something. Nobody's seen a hairy egg. That doesn't make any sense. Frank. What? What? Anyways, call 1-800-TUBBUSTERS. That's enough numbers and letters. Call it now for your special discount. We'll bust your pubes today. Oh, wow. I think the, I think the music's getting kind of fucked up. Uh, we should fix that in post. Okay, seriously, man, like, you've got so much pubic hair. It is insane. Mm. And I'm not, like, there's nothing wrong with having pubic hair. It's okay. I don't get why everybody's shaving their pubes. But, like, dude, it looks, <laughs> you look like you bought one of those hair diapers from the diaper barn, from that diaper barn, dude. Like, what the fuck, man? Mm. Is that what that is? Is that a hair diaper mm. from the diaper barn? Mm. shit you should talk to a doctor or something i don't know i mean doesn't it get hot down there you get kind of sweaty i mean like you know claustrophobic mm. yeah i mean it seems like it would be like wearing underwear that you could never take off that sounds like one of the inner circles of hell frank i mean is it you know like in the santa claus with tim allen when he shaves his beard and then it just comes right back because he's Santa Claus. Because hmm. he's turned into Santa Claus. Is it like that with your pubes? Mm. Well. It's got to just be exactly like that but with your pubes. Because there's no way that you could be clogging your drain at this rate. And still have that. Those fucking boxer briefs of pubic hair. Good lord. Do you think they did that 
Do you think they did that in the, the Santa Claus? Maybe that was maybe it was a deleted scene. I never bought the DVD or Blu-ray. That would have been a pretty funny deleted scene where Tim Allen is turning into Santa Claus and he start he shaves his pubes because he's going out on a date and they grow back because Santa Claus doesn't shave his own pubes. Like Santa Claus has got a big old bush, probably right, almost certainly. You know, sometimes you can read the screenplay. Like I got screenplays posted online, and you can read sort of that stuff. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. that was left on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. I bet you there. I bet you fucking dollars to donuts. There's a scene where Tim Allen as Santa Claus is shaving his own pubes, and mm. they grow back magically. Mm. <laughs> All right, and we are back. So, Hannah. What is this part of the episode going to entail? So, uh, specifically, I was asked to write ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I brought two of a collection of medieval ghost stories that have been translated and smushed together. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I was being good, I would have read through all of them and picked out some good ones. <laughs> but I don't have time for that. So I thought I would get around that problem by combining it with another of my interests, which is sort of uh, superstitions, particularly something called bibliomancy. Mm-hmm. Um, bibliomancy is sort of a very fancy term for uh, opening up a book to a random place and sort of using whatever you find as like sort of divine inspiration to foretell the future as a kind of divination. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, like in medieval Europe, people would have done it with the Bible and some of those things that like some people viewed as sort of devout, but then the, the priest would say, no, that's not allowed. But I was like, what if I just do some bibliomancy on my ghost story book so I will just let it pick the story for me and then I don't have to read through all of them or prepare it. Yeah. Uh, so that was the plan. Okay. Um, so how, how are you going to do it? Uh, I wish, so usually you just let it fall open. Ah! Okay. Nice. <laughs> did a dramatic. Um, um, this one's too long. <laughs> this one's also long. I don't know, Ellen, what do you think? I mean, it's really up to you. Did you find, if you can find, like, if you can find, I think using, like, the, I was going to say the contents, if there's one that's. Ooh, Okay. Um, so this is actually, uh, this story was in a chronicle. Um, it was by a Saxon bishop called Dietmar of Mersburg. And this chronicle was probably written around, like, 1018, 10, yeah. Anyway, um, but it's an interesting writing chronicles as history and stuff, but also he talks about some ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also fun because, uh, this one's told to by a thief, because usually people remembering history were women, and then the sort of monks would write it down. Anyway, okay, so he tells us, oh, I should just say this is a ghost story, this is a revenant story. So, Ooh, even better. Yeah, so Can instead you... of just being like a spectral, um, the idea of like a ghost being a spiritual being is sort of more of like a Christian thing, but mm-hmm. especially in like Northern Europe and like sort of this is in what we would consider Germany and sort of more Slavic lands or even further up in places like um, Norway or Iceland, um, there's more of a belief in like physical dead people getting up out of their graves and walking around. So you would call that like a revenant or I think the old Norse word would be like a draugr. Um, but yeah, this is more... This is like involves physical dead people getting up because it's closer to those cultures where sort of Christians have interacted with other people with different religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. I'm sorry, I'm trying to see where it starts. So he tells about one, he tells basically what happens is he tells a ghost story. Um, and then he says, after I was told of this, I related it to my niece Bridget, um, who she was not surprised and went on to tell me the following story about 
Bishop Baudry, who at one time was in charge of the See of Utrecht. Okay, so the bishop arranged for the church at Deventer to be renovated and reconsecrated after its destruction. Yeah, I'd really like to go for a mid-century medieval feel. Recessed lighting, maybe a gas range on the altar. Oh, and how about a back? A lot of wars in this area has seen ghosts and sort of trauma. Um, and a priest was placed in charge. Early one morning, the priest saw dead people inside the church celebrating mass and heard them singing psalms. Oh my god, the dead have risen from their graves! What are they? Is that D'Angelo? Pretty good. When he told Bishop Baudry what happened, he was ordered to sleep inside the church, whereupon the next night the priest, and even on the bed which he was resting, were thrown out of the church by the dead people. <laughs> Thoroughly shaken, the priest went back to the bishop, who ordered him to equip himself with holy relics and sprinkle holy water around. On no account was he to leave the church, which was in his charge. Obedient but fearful, the priest lay awake inside the church the next night until the dead, coming at the usual time. Get back! And lifted him up and placed him on the altar. Oh, wow, the recessed lighting in here looks great. And is this a gas range? They then killed him by kindling a fire and holding his body in the flames and embers. Ouch! Ow! I really love that backsplash! Ow! When the bishop heard this, he ordered that a penitential fast should be held for three days to obtain succor for the priest's soul. My niece concluded that she would be able to say much more about these kinds of occurrences if she were not afflicted by illness. Just as the day is given over to the living, she said, night is the domain of the dead. Okay, well, first of all, um, fucking killer ending to the oh, story. Oh, yeah, that's why I was like, oh, if I can't find one, I need you to do that one. Holy shit, they just, like, straight up barbecued that Oh, yeah, just priest. burned a man alive. Interesting, wow, holy shit. I'd so, you know, See, it's... sometimes they're free, sometimes it's just, like, a nice ghost story, and sometimes it's like, no, that man got fucking burned alive. <laughs> wow, that is a great ghost story, though. Thanks, I tried, I mean... Maybe it's kind of... See, I didn't even need bibliomancy. It was inside me the whole time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to... You said you've incorporated some of these into your work. Are you going to continue to do so? I don't... I don't know. Um, especially because I don't want to become... I'm sort of becoming sort of the, the dead people person in the department. Is that a bad... You mean the entire history department? Or uh, I mean, the people who ask about it. As I showed you, somebody sent me an article about Icelandic ghosts, and they did it with the subject title, Powerful Icelandic Ghosts in Your Area, Call Now. <laughs> because they knew, they were like, oh, Hannah likes the dead people. Yeah. Um, or like, anytime I mentioned dead people in class, a professor would be like, oh yeah, that's what Hannah does. Um, I don't I don't know if I want to stick with that. It is, but like I said, it's because I think it's so theologically problematic, it's what I find really, really interesting. And those generally, like, the fact that I know about bibliomancy, because I, I, I find it interesting because it was a problem. Right. Or, like, because people disagreed about it. Mm -hmm. And, like, to be clear, in medieval Europe, people disagreed about ghosts. Like, one of the main writers, Augustine, said that ghosts weren't real. Um, he said that if you hear something, it's a demon sort of manipulating you. Whereas people like Thietmar or, like, Gregory the Great did believe in ghosts. They thought it was, like, proof that right when Revelation happens and the apocalypse comes that Christians will be resurrected and go to heaven. So, like, this wasn't something everyone agreed on. Mm -hmm. um, it, also, the fact that, right, you have Christian and sort of Slavic ideas being mixed together, it was a, it was a common point of interest um, right. that different ideas would sort of mix into. So it has a lot of things that I really find interesting, but mm -hmm. I don't know if I would specifically keep doing ghost stories. That's totally... I mean, that's totally fair. I, I mean... I, you know, it, it is a fun, also a very fun pastime, like, mm -hmm. to go through. But, I mean, I don't know. I It's also very funny, um, there's some kind of dissonance between, like, you being the the person that everyone goes with, like, dead stuff. But it's mm -hmm. just, like, 
we're all doing this. <laughs> like, yeah. All of our... Well, that's what I find interesting. I specifically picked those stories for my one project because they were in a chronicle, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of their version of history, which for me, it was like, okay. I mean, at first I was like, why would this be here? I'm like, well, history is already sort of dead people telling us stuff. So this right. is just extra dead people. Right. Like, it makes like... sense that they would show up. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's, and it's a good thing because I feel like, uh, I, you know, I wonder about like what it's going to be like when we have historians looking at our time yeah. like how are they going again this first is of all whoever's being a story of the past decade like yeah deepest re- sympathies regards yeah <laughs> i hope you i hope w- whether or not we actually make it to a time where people can study this in any kind of like objective way mm-hmm. is going to be great but no i i wonder about like how are they going to interpret our fascination again man i really sorry i think i'm just going to keep harping on this i really wish i was like doing something to do with like our historical obsession not obsession our historical desire as people to twist death and like suffering and all this into things that are like supernatural scary stuff like that Mm -hmm. i don't know but because that i mean like that you know again the way that is conveyed is very matter of fact and that's like you know, that's not how things are being done when we tell But also, stories. I think it's like, it's hard hmm. because, right, I don't know how they would have said that out loud. I don't know how True. his niece told him the story. I know how we wrote it down. I mean, he does include her final lines, which are baller. Yeah. Um, but, right, it's hard to tell. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, like, the evidence of it is so horrific. But once again, this story was in a chronicle surrounded by other stories about war and death. Right. Um, I think it's particularly interesting that he has a set of ghost stories he tells in that chronicle, and right before he tells it, he's talking about a battle, like a big battle that happened. Mm-hmm. And he says that two of his great-grandfathers died there. And then he starts telling ghost stories. Like, it's just uh-huh. the immediate shift, and it's sure. something that his niece tells him. So clearly there's this overlapping realm of sort of family trauma and remembrance that mm-hmm. sort of turns into thinking about ghosts. Right. We keep we keep finding other things to show. <laughs> well, we can, let's see, we can wrap this up. Are there la- any last... Um closing remarks that you'd like our listeners to know oh we didn't check yous <gasps> oh well you mean go ahead uh god i don't even remember no it was the james said something about um medieval people being dirty mm-hmm. did someone invoke my name it is i the ghost of your editor at Jamstodge. the audio quality in this episode killed me and now i am dead so what's up what are you guys what do you need what did your poor editor do to deserve being ripped from the spirit world to the material plane? We'll just say he said some very damning things about medieval people. Yes. And as the medievalist in this podcast and current sphere, what is your response to uh, that? I would say that's not accurate, mm. um, especially, I think, particularly the dirty thing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that has to do with sort of viewing medieval period as sort of the quote-unquote dark ages, mm-hmm. which is specifically something made up by sort of very fancy, learned Italian people in the Renaissance uh-huh. to say, oh, antiquity was great, right? The ancients in Rome were really good, and then medieval Europe happened and we hated it, but now we personally are doing stuff that they did in ancient Rome, so we're better than everything that happened in between. It's just this awkward middle period, and they called it the Dark Ages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's uh, kind of bullshit. Um, yeah. And maybe James's ancestors personally were dirty, filthy people, and like, James, that's a you problem. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I yeah. can't speak for that, All right. but society as a whole was not like that. Okay, well, I happen to have met my medieval ancestors in the afterlife, and I can assure you that they are all really dirty, every single one of them. 
even as ghosts, they're dirty. They're still dirty. In fact, one of my ancestors is a Slimer ghost, like from Ghostbusters. I don't even know how that happens, but yeah, he's really gross. Wow. All right. Well, I think that's a great end, a note to end on. So, yeah. well, thank you for joining us. We will have you again, back on again um, next season. Um, I hope everyone enjoys this filler episode. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, stay tuned for season three. We'll be back on December 5th. Bye, everybody. <clears throat> My goodness, what a tale. Man, that story had, uh, uh, the characters, they faced hardships, and how about that subtext? There was so much of it. I was like, watch out for all the subtext. It's coming right at us. Look out. And how about when the ghost turned out to be Bruce Willis all along? What a twist. Okay, I'll be honest, I wasn't actually listening to the podcast at all. I kind of, I zoned out there for a minute. Or 50. How, how long is this thing? Well, anywho, did you like the show? Did you hate the show? Let us know by sending us an email at... They never told me what the show's email is. I'm not even sure if we have one, so you can just send it to my work email at desperate3love at hotmail.com. That's D-E-S-P-E-R-A-T-E, the number three, L-U-V, at hotmail.com. Okay, bye-bye now. I love you. <laughs>